0: Now, I'd like to point out that we're supposed to be professionals here, people, and we're supposed to be doing a show, so uh,
1: let's we try to that We now have
2: order out of chaos. We're exactly. good.
0: All right.
1: Let's get this going. Hi, I'm David Fitzgerald, and I took a left at the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that but with religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, an an infidel, I call it something to be atheist. Atheist, atheist, atheist. Coming
0: Coming you from Silly BC, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and let me remind you, that stealing ideas from one person is plagiarism, but to steal from many is research.
3: <laughs>
0: Joining me as usual is a team who hasn't lost their mind is backed up on a flash drive. She thinks it's cruel for the word lisp to have an S in it. Nancy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You, you were surprised. I just no, said, no. Yeah, I, I usually to expect to... more of an answer than that. <laughs> I know it's very unusual for me to use one word and then stop. One talking. answer today. <laughs>
0: and she is a peripheral <laughs> visionary. That means she sees the future, but only from the side. Teresa. Okay. I'm gonna play crickets if sound effects. In. And he has an inferi- <laughs> inferiority complex, but not as good as the others. <laughs> <This> guy. <laughs> Poor cowbell. I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. Please, <laughs> more cowbell. Guys, welcome back. Despite having all these wonderful technical difficulties, you know, I, I I must say to all the, if there are youngins out there, people younger than I, learn about computers, guys, really, do. <laughs> Don't be that cool guy that doesn't need to hang with the geeks. Go ahead and hang with the geeks. Become a geek. It's totally worth it.
2: That's right, or... Find one and make him or her your best friend immediately. <laughs> oh, I am so regretting not
0: doing this as, as a kid. So but, regretting it.
2: But it all worked out and here we are. Yes. Life is good. The sun is shining and we're on the air.
0: So to, uh, hopefully this mic is going to work too. It's a new mic. So let's hope this works well. Uh, so we, today we're going to have a uh, our guest, uh, Sue Houston, right? Right. And uh, she's uh, she's not with dying with dignity, but something's yes, she clear. Yes, Well, yeah, but it's called Made, right?
2: No, the the organization is called um, Dying with Dignity, but the procedure that is used is called MAID, which is short for um, uh, med- med- medical <laughs> medical assisted I, I, medical, yeah, medically assisted and in de- in dying. Oh, in dying, okay. Oh man, that's a, medical ins- assisted
0: that, so. in- induced dying, maybe.
2: no medical assistance
0: in dying. In dying, in dying, in dying, right uh so anyway we're gonna have fun with that uh but for now let's do a bit of chit chat oh, i've got a few things actually two things with the elephant in the room i guess but uh, first i guess uh you guys know ian ursiali who's the, what's it ian ursiali you're an atheist you don't know ian ursiali no bow your head in shame scott
3: I, i'm bowing i'm bowing
0: <laughs> <laughs> well 47 year old ian ursiali had to cancel a tour that was due to begin in uh, Brisbane, in Australia. Uh, her appearance had been opposed, apparently, by a prominent group of Muslim women. Aynar is uh, wrote the, uh, the book Infidel, which I have here somewhere, and uh, she's, uh, she's a, a, a very vocal anti-Islam uh, person, and she was part of the Dutch parliament, and she uh she started making a movie with Theo van Gogh about uh how Islam treats women, and they assassinated wow. Theo van Gogh in the street and with a dagger in his chest and a note saying she's next and she's been um since then she has bodyguards all the time with her because she's a target and the uh, regressive left I guess you should call that are trying very hard to make sure she doesn't speak and they protested her speaking at this uh, this uh, this uh, this tour in Brisbane. Yeah, uh, her
2: her life is is remarkable. Absolutely, considering the the abuse and the repression and the number of times that she moved and her father was a political prisoner over mm-hmm. a long period of time. I think they moved to what three or four different countries and she learned the language. And finally, when she moved to Holland, it. Uh, um yep. she became part of the parliament i mean she a, remarkable she's a survivor story. she is uh, she triumphs
0: oh absolutely it's absolutely. a remarkable story and yeah. she's 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 very smart and I highly recommend that you read her book, which is called uh, infidel um and it's it's been a tough life for her and uh, now of course uh, these people are doing their best there's even a video ro- going on Facebook saying addressing her directly saying you're not speaking for me you're not speaking you on know, women covered with their veil and all that uh, I really hate how these, uh, the regressive left is doing their very best to try to uh, normalize Islam. Now I, 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 I want to clarify here, I, I'm not against Muslims. I'm, I'm really not. I've got no problem with Muslims. I do have a problem with the doctrine of Islam. I really do. you know uh, when, you ha- when you're having these, uh, these little parties all over the place in the states where they're, they're putting like American flag hijab style on women, you know, saying you're expressing your freedom. You're not expressing your freedom. When you put a hijab on, you're not expressing freedom. You're submitting to Islam. And I don't understand why these people get that.
2: Well, you get women who are on both sides of that. Muslim women are on both sides. Some say they feel um, they feel good with it it's it's a choice that they would like to make and um, then others feel that it's repression so depends on what it depends on what side of that argument that you're on but certainly both have made very valid you know arguments so well,
0: i call it balderdash because i will say that if there was no such thing as the patriarch culture of islam telling you you have to put the veil on i don't think naturally women would start putting a veil on their head i really don't think so if you were born into, if you were agree. not born into the, the religion, it would never ever come to mind unless you had like a fuzzy hair day like Teresa had yesterday.
2: Uh. <laughs> wow! <laughs> he, was, he was patting me. But well, before you leave the show and feel insulted, it's been wonderful having you up to now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I personally have enjoyed being with you, <laughs> and I hope we will we, we'll, we'll miss you unless uh, unless you get an apology.
0: <laughs> no. no, no, no. We love Teresa. We love Teresa because Teresa is, she she talks a lot and. We, Whenever we ask her a question, she always comes up with the, the crickets. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, we're teasing her. We're teasing well her. Done. We love her. We love her. Oh, um, I love you guys. <laughs> I guess I should. Uh, 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 we should also talk about the uh, elephant in the room what happened this week. Uh, we talk about that uh, that chemical attack in Syria
1: um.
2: and the
0: U.S. response to it.
2: Oh man. Speaking uh, of Republicans is, and the elephant in the room, yeah. that is, where, that do you, is where do very, you go from there?
0: It's a very scary scenario. It's, it is a very scary scenario because now as we speak, apparently there is a, uh, I can't confirm this, but I, I, I just read this morning that apparently there's a Russian ship en route right now as we speak, as we're recording this, to meet the ship where these uh, Tomahawk missiles from uh, the American ship. So now now you, you, the Russians are moving their their, their boats close to proximity to the Americans. It's a recipe for a disaster. It is. I'll tell, you,
2: I'll tell you a fantastic um, conspiracy theory that I, that I heard yesterday, and that is that Putin has orchestrated this to make Trump really look good and to give him a distraction, and the whole thing is being orchestrated so that his friend Donnie – um, you know gets wow. the credibility that he deserves the other the other um, conspiracy theory is that since they used 59 tomahawk um, uh, warheads oh, not missiles mm-hmm. that actually uh, Trump used them so that he has an excuse for the military to build up their stock, you know, in, in more tomahawks, therefore giving the military-industrial complex uh, a little infusion of cash. Those yeah. are the two most well, wild ones. Like they need ones, an infusion so. cash
0: there. Yeah. I mean, they already have 54% of the American budget. What like yeah, the, well,
2: they want 90%. The, yeah, Come on now, 54%. <laughs> right. no they are lagging behind.
3: They also spend more, and this includes Russia and China. Um, the United States spends more than the top 10 countries after them combined. Yeah, yeah
0: absolutely. Yeah, On. including all the allies and all yeah. that. It's it's insane. It really is insane. You right. want to solve the American problems? All you have to do is cut their military budget in half. That's all you have to do, and spend that money somewhere else, and it would solve all the Americans' problems right there. Um
2: but it is it is scary because is, um, scary. Trump has let loose something that he has no idea about, doesn't know how to control it, and all we can hope is that the advisors, minus Steve Bannon, might be able to uh, modify or mitigate, you know, the wow. damage that we all see looming on the horizon. One of the
3: things that no one's addressing, though, and this is very scary. The United States responded to a chemical attack, which sarin gas, which is what is reported to have been used Mm. by the Syrian government, the United States shut down a military installation. That's what they aimed for. They shut down the military installation saying this will not happen again. Now you can disagree with their, their action, but you can't disagree with their motives because they did exactly what they were supposed to do under all the Geneva conventions. Why is Russia not speaking out against the chemical gas attack? This scares me, because if the Russians are going to claim foul, they just allowed a country, a government, to use a chemical warfare agent that has not been legal for 50 years.
0: Well, uh, I first of all, it hasn't even been proved that it's the Syrian government. And there's something very fishy about the idea of that, because Ob- under Obama, Obama declared that if they were to use chemical weapons, that'd be crossing the red line. And at the time... Um, what's his name? the 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 president of Syria. I'm uh, a Assad. 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 Thank you, yeah. thank you. Uh, Assad said, "Sure, take the weapons, take the chemical," and he gave them to them. So, and and at, at this point, unless I'm reading this wrong, against the rebels until until this chemical attack, he was kind of winning. He was kind of winning the fight. Why make that move?
4: There's I something suspicious
0: about that. Why make that move, right? And there's, of course, there's conspiracy theory out there saying that it wasn't him doing that move, and of course, it just draws in the Americans to do that all of a sudden.
3: I don't know. Well, and again, so who's who's responsible?
0: Who's exactly who's responsible there's, for the gas attack? There's too many things we don't know at this point to make a, a good judgment call on this. And either way, we can easily say that this is a uh, black powder keg that there's, just might blow up. There's
3: a play happening over there somehow. Somehow, and it's very scary because the Russians are being played and the Americans are being played at this point. Yeah. We don't know who's pulling the strings, but it's very disturbing that the Russians haven't called on the chemical gas attack. They just called on the Americans shutting down a military base through force. It's kind of—I just find it very strange. The Russians haven't gone after the chemical gas. They haven't even mentioned it, saying, "Hey, yeah, there was a chemical gas attack, and we don't understand what that
0: happening. is." Weird. That
3: is strange indeed. because that is against everything in modern warfare you're not allowed to use chemical warfare agents. It's against the the doctrine of war now.
0: The the funny thing is, is chemical weapons have a very bad reputation, and rightfully so. But, as a weapon, chemical weapons are actually atrocious. They're really bad. They're hard to control. But they do have, they do make an impact in the public. I mean, they're not as efficient as regular bombing. Uh, They're not as efficient as regular bullets or anything like that. And You launch something in the air; it can easily turn around and come back at you. This is one of the reasons why people don't use chemical weapons anymore, because they're actually so unpredictable. So, for 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 this for Assad to make that move, it's it looks more like window dressing. It looks more like you know something to get the public on your side, kind of thing, because everybody just abhors the 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 idea of a chemical weapon. And and But, but again,
3: again, so the chemical weapon's been used. And everyone stopped talking about it and is only talking about the conventional attack against a military base by the Americans. Mm. So it seems to me that there's a little bit of lopsidedness in the reporting here because oh, of course, what is going on? Oh, somebody yeah. used, somebody used a weapon that's not allowed to be used, period. It's all against all, all warfare conventions and the only thing they're talking about is the American response mm. to that. Yeah, to that and, and, and
2: not only were they not supposed to be used, but the Russians were in charge of, uh, supposedly in charge of making sure that Assad. Didn't have any more chemical yeah. weapons, so the whole thing politically there's going on, is yeah. that there's so much that's going on that we we're not going to find out about until you we read it in the history books another twenty e- years exactly from and then, because exactly. And we're then going what's the through truth? a period we're, we're where everything know. is suspect everything is suspect we have we'll, we'll,
3: I don't think we'll ever know the truth behind it. Because oh, I think
2: it, it's, it truth eventually comes out. So? Just oh yeah but eventually 50 years from now yeah but we're we'll we're living we're living through turbulent times which is a cliche but we actually are and in the midst of it and not the americans not having um, the majority of americans not having faith in what they're told yeah. it uh, it just compounds what's going on it does
0: on. it does and you know the fa- the unfortunately the uh, american media has done such a fantastic job at discrediting themselves that now the public either way cannot or will not believe them. If even if they told them completely, hundred percent the truth, these all these people with these conspiracy theories are coming out, and you know you can't really blame them because even myself, you know, as soon as I see something if I'm an American source, the first thing I'm thinking is like, ah, better go check the BBC, better go check, you know, Al yeah. Jazeera, go Al-Jazeera check, check like Al Jazeera, BBC, exactly. Reuters. Because as soon as it says ABC News or Fox News or CNN, I'm thinking, ah, I don't know. They've lost credibility. They've lost all credibility, and it's it's kind of a sad, sad statement of affairs. All right. So anyway, moving on. Nancy, are you ready to go with your usual?
2: I think so. <laughs> after, <laughs> unless, you, unless you, you get something a, else to bring take a, up. Take a deep. We'll take a deep breath. You betcha. Okay. okay let's ready let's. to go. We're gonna do a quack watch. Oh, today. Okay.
0: We well, gotta and stop this know. music. Quack Watch.
2: We're going to do a Quack Watch. So, today's Quack Watch is... Uh, I think it's an interesting one. I really, I really do. Listen, listen to the end. I have a surprise at the end. Ooh, okay. the surprise at the bottom. Yeah, we're going to talk about um, neurofeedback. I don't know whether any of you have ever heard about neurofeedback, but um, it, it's happening more than than we realize. And it, it, in order to explain neurofeedback, I have to go back and explain a very conventional form of therapy called biofeedback. Feedback. And maybe more people are are familiar with biofeedback, which is a um, a medical not a medical procedure, but it's in it's a conventional procedure that has been approved and has been validated um, for use uh, for for a lot of different things. So it is it is accepted, it's approved, and the definition of biofeedback, uh, sometimes called applied uh, physiopsychological feedback, it, is this. It's a patient-guided treatment that teaches an individual to control muscle tension, pain, body temperature, brain waves, and other bodily functions, usually automatic automatic, I knew I was going to have thank you, bodily functions, and processes through relaxation, visualization, and other cognitive control techniques. And the name um, biofeedback refers to the biological signals that are fed back or returned to the patient in order for the patient to develop techniques of manipulating them. So, if you have blood pressure that goes through the roof every time you hear the word Trump, there are ways to control that. And the way they do it is that people are hooked up to the biofeedback machine and they see on the screen either through graphs or charts or colors or some other visual what happens when the word trump is spoken you see your blood pressure go through the roof and as you see it You are then able to apply certain techniques so that as your blood pressure goes down, you see that in the same form. If if it's a, a spike, you can see that as you breathe or relax or take deep breaths, whatever the therapist is telling you to do, you now have a technique so that when you hear the word Trump, you can control your blood pressure. And you can do this for anxiety, you can use it for pain, you can use it uh, for phobias, people who have a fear of flying, you can um, uh, visualize getting onto a plane and you see your blood pressure and your... Your heart rate go up, and then you learn to to control it. Perfectly valid, and it's been used for years and years. I think it started mostly in the 70s and the and the 80s.
0: So, so real time monitoring.
2: Real time monitoring, right? Nice. So <laughs> it, it's really used successfully uh, to use a number of of disorders um, and their symptoms, um, as we say, g- chronic pain, irritable bowel syndrome, and uh, and uh, migraine headaches, things of that nature. It has been used for um, ADHD n- not as reliably, but it, it has been used for ADHD. So, all of these ign- illnesses that have been triggered, at least in part by stress, are also targeted by a biofeedback therapy. So, we know it's a legitimate. Um, therapy that that has been used and like a lot of scams it's based on a proven technique and then it takes off into areas where it's not supposed to go and that's what happened to neurofeedback it when you look at biofeedback um, on the Mayo Clinic uh, website um, they can go through all they go through all of the purposes and so forth but then at the very bottom of the, um, of the article, it says, Be aware that some products might be falsely marketed as biofeedback devices and that all biofeedback practitioners are reputable. If a manufacturer or biofeedback practitioner claims that a biofeedback device can assess your organs for disease, find impurities in your blood, cure your condition, or send signals into your body, check with your doctor before using it, as it might not be legitimate. That's the biggest red flag in the world when, when Mayo Clinic, at the end of their biofeedback, recognizes, but not everybody reads a biofeedback. No, no, it's, okay. it's kind of a dry reading. So now we get to neurofeedback, which is a subset or a subdivision. So I'll explain that and then we'll go on to the, to the fraud, but it takes a little okay. bit of explanation until we get there. But neurofeedback addresses problems of brain dysregulation. Say what? Now we're now we're into a really murky area. regulation of Disregulation. That right. That sounds like parliament. <laughs> it, yeah, this happens, <laughs> and as the neurofeedback people say, these happen to be numerous. They include. Here we go anxiety, depression spectrum, attention deficits, behavior disorders, sleep disorders, headaches, migraines, PMS and emotional disturbances, and also organic brain conditions such as seizures, Autism spectrum and cerebral palsy. At this point, everybody's blood pressure needs to go up a little <laughs> bit because you can see that the bio biofeedback application is now being used in, in areas of mental instability and problems and mental issues of one kind or another where it has no business going. And that's exactly what the neurofeedback people do because they take people who are vulnerable and have difficulties that haven't been able to be helped by traditional means and saying, aha, we can do it. We've got this little machine. We can hook you up. You can see what's going on in your brain and we can fix it. So now we're into the scam. This is the way neurofeedback works. the the therapists or the scam artists put electrodes of Uh, to the scalp, and they listen in on brainwave activity. The signals are processed by computer and information extracted about certain key brainwave frequencies. All brain frequencies are equal, but some are more equal than others. I don't want to get too technical here, but the ebb and the flow of the brainwave activity is shown back to the person who attempts to change the activity level pretty much the same way as they have with biofeedback. But some Frequences are promoted, others are diminished, and the information is presented to the person in the form of a video game or music. And then the therapist says that now this brainwave activity is going to be shaped toward more desirable, more regulated performance. And that's where the, this is now starting where the the problem comes in. So the frequencies and the specific locations on the scalp where they're listening to the brain are specific to the conditions that they're trying to address. So if you put the uh, electrodes here, they're going to deal with autism problems. If they put it there, they're going to deal with That sounds a
0: lot like phrenology.
2: Well, it's phrenology on steroids, I guess, because it then looks inside the brain and Gets what they call the alpha waves, the delta waves, or whatever they are, which they say now are not regular. But now they're going to fix them.
0: And these people claim they can change those brain waves. Yeah, right? they
2: changed that. Inconceivable! <laughs> exactly, that they're going to change the brain waves and regulate them. Because remember, before we were talking about the brain dysregulation. Now you know, through taking a little money from their wallet, they're going to hook you up. And
0: that's secure for everything. The right. Your wallet's too heavy. That's why <laughs> your brain the, waves are out of
2: Now we go. <laughs> so what they're going to do is they're going to show films or videos or music, and then they're going to stop and start these videos and music over and over in numerous sessions, which they say yield more normal brain waves and as, as they as they normalize the brain waves you're going to give it but not too quick it's going to take a number of different sessions so that uh, at a know, price at a price. That's right. And your autism is going to come out. You're going to be just the best laid back little kid that ever was. And people fall for this and they're, they're desperate, but they feel as though it's hooked up to a machine. It has to do with biofeedback. It has to be legitimate so they um the people who do this stop just the way the ortho molecular people do it's not a cure, so they don't want to say that it's a cure, mm-hmm. but it's a matter of getting the brain to function better rather than curing the condition so um they they also get into seizures um, behavior disorders such as conduct disorder, bipolar disorder, so we said autism spectrum pervasive developmental delay acquired brain injury and birth trauma so they they say yep we're birth gonna hook trauma? you up hook you up lighten your wallet and you're gonna be good to go
0: yeah, it's when the doctor slaps you when you're first <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: that's right um the um alpha the um uh Scientists, many scientists have said, of course, that there are issues with it, and good research shows that the beneficial effects, uh, any beneficial. Re- re- uh, effects of um, neurofeedback or sometimes called eeg feedback were related to a person's belief in the technology not any uh, to any alterations Ooh, in, a
3: their, in their placebo
0: mhm indeed
2: yeah and they another study shows that people are able to produce high levels of these alpha waves even when under threat of mild electric shock rather than what they go through so that's uh, th- 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 again shows that any research that has gone on to show the neurofeedback works is is definitely flawed because anytime it's done with legitimate double blind or or other research studies, it doesn't work. So these kinds of far-fetched claims about all these conditions set alarm bells uh, ringing. And uh, one of the the useful researches that um, that have to do with with debunking this were made at Canterbury Christ Church University in England, and um, at that point the um, the um, um, research said that the um, uh, after surveying all the relevant. It, it, evidence excuse me well, my tongue is not working here I may need neural feedback <laughs> um, it said that the notion that alpha neurofeedback can enhance the mood of healthy individuals has yet to be firmly established and that seems to be most now neurotherapy one of the examples I'm going to give you some examples and then we get to the surprise at the end um there are um, a, a lady there's a lady called Georgia Connor and she worked as a learning specialist at the Holistic Resource Center in Agoura Hills, California. And her website states that she's certified in neurofeedback, QXCI, and Rife technology, and specializes in remediating the symptoms of children and adults suffering from ADD, ADHD, dyslexia, PTSD, depression, anxiety, and so forth, on and on and on. Um, So anytime you see people say that They can cure this, and they have a PhD from from here and there. um, Let your the the, the quack watch radar needs needs to (laughs) quack watch
0: radar. I I need I need a sound effect for that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so there are um, there are several um, that that I could cite, but I want I want to get to the surprise at the end. There is a company called Neurocore brain performance center and it actually is a chain of centers and they're based in Michigan and they state that their primary approach which called they call neurofeedback EEG biofeedback uh, so forth is effective against attention definite attention deficit hyperactivity disorder ADHD anxiety most of the ones that we've we've already, gone through and so they say that the main treatment consists of hooking up patients to a device that records their brainwave patterns, showing movies to them and interrupting them when they become distracted. NeuroCore asserts that this process retrains brains. In interviews, former employers, employees expressed skepticism and child psychiatrists and psychologists with expertise in autism and ADHD questioned some of NeuroCore's assertions, advertising, and methods. Another press report noted that Michigan's Department of Insurance and Financial Services recently denied a claim for Neurocore's services for treating migraines. In a video interview referring to depression, anxiety, and ADHD, Neurocore's CEO asserted, without providing evidence, that A, medication can be helpful, but it's only a short-term fix that masks symptoms, and B, therapy can help in some cases, but really just gives compensating behaviors, and C, unlike these, NeuroCore's feedback deals with the root cause. This has been debunked by Stephen Barrett, who... It's the head of Quack Watch. As surprises, the principal investors of Nuracor happen to be Trump. Betsy DeVos.
0: No <laughs> and
2: her husband.
0: Well, well, well. And, I was um, not too far when I said Trump.
2: <laughs> Betsy DeVos.
0: Oh my god.
2: Isn't that wild? Well,
0: the education system in the states is in good hands now.
2: Good hands Ouch. now. So, Ouch. neurotherapy has been debunked. Science and in uh, science and pseudoscience review of mental health, which is the group that evaluates clinical services that seem appear to be at odds with scientific evidence, and in no way is is neurofeedback considered a good therapeutic. Um, cure or device to use to help relieving any of the, the conditions that they say. And Betsy DeVos now, as a principal investor, how long do you think it's going to take her <laughs> to start installing these machines in various charter schools and oh, making a wow. little extra, you know what, cash on the side? On
0: the, on the, on the, on the back of school children. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Wow.
2: I know uh, my jaw Because I had no idea when I started doing the research what I was going to find.
0: That that is insane. My God, you did a lot of and research on that.
2: I mean <laughs> it's unethical and it's putting you know, they they originally were the Amway people. You know, yeah, oh <laughs> okay. G- so they it tells know you how everything you market. need to know right They there, know right? how to market so they they invested in Wow. That was yeah, a wild. So if
0: you buy two machines and you get your friends to buy two <laughs> machines.
2: <laughs> right.
0: That was a quite a bit of research Nancy. Uh, I yeah. you need you need to uh, I'll give you one of those. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That was great. Yeah. That was a great report. Wow. Yeah. Well, okay. So why am I left feeling empty and just misguided? Y- <laughs> Oh, well, did yeah. you want me to do a sound effect for you too? No, 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 no. Are no. you
3: sure? That her her report just it's leaving me feeling less and less like a human being. <laughs> Maybe it's I just so. don't want it's to. The belong the boss to I don't want to belong to the species anymore. I think yeah. we're just, I don't want to live on this planet anymore. Jeez. Somebody stop the planet! I want to get off.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's it's take a, something.
0: let's take a quick, bre- a quick break and then let's bring back Sue and we'll be talking about dying with dignity. So stay with us.
4: What is secular humanism?
0: Critical thinking, knowledge is freedom, freedom from ignorance and its offspring, fear.
1: The BC Humanist Association has been active in the Vancouver area for over 25 years. We offer a friendly and welcoming place to make new friends, as well as free educational lectures. We invite you to join us any Sunday at 10
0: a.m. in the Oak Ridge Senior Center. Please visit our website for more details at bchumanist.ca. Interested in a particular topic? You ever wonder where we find all this information?
1: The Common Sense Canadian is a forum for critical discussion of the key issues shaping our world today. Water, energy, food security, and how we manage our resources to the public benefit while preserving our environment. So go to commonsensecanadian.ca. It's uncommonly sensible. If your skepticism is socially conscious and
3: doesn't take itself too seriously, you might like Life, the Universe, and Everything Else. People like Great Comfort are fond of saying, What use is half a wing, right? Have you ever seen a fing penguin? <laughs> Life, the Universe, and Everything Else. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else. I don't know, Zoom? Is that still a thing?
0: All right, so our next guest is from Dying with Dignity. We used to have Wanda Morris on, huh? but now we have Sue Hodgson. She's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer. Sue,
4: welcome. Kevin, I'm happy to
0: about the landscape of medical assistance and dying. Awesome, awesome. I think we lost you there for half a second. That's okay, we got you back.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently there's others who are happy to have me here too.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, we're always happy to have you. Uh, so, Sue, there's been a lot of uh, interesting news in the and developments so why don't you uh, catch up, uh, catch us all up on on uh, what's been going on in the uh, in I guess you can't even say the field of that, but uh, what's going on with dying with dignity?
4: Sure. Uh, so just a little bit of a recap. Um, medical assistance in dying has been legal in Canada if you qualify uh, since February uh well february 6th of 2015 was when the carter ruling came about but it was a lag before we had the legislation so the legislation officially came down june 17th 2016. so canadians have had a legal option to end their life with medical assistance if they qualify since june 17th so dying with dignity as an organization has been around for over 30 years and under our leadership of Wanda Morris who you referenced as our CEO we really saw that the time was right societally to accept medical assistance in dying and that taking this forward was uh, was was likely hopefully mm-hmm. and eventually did and in the Supreme Court ruling that that gave us this right that um, that dropped the prohibition on assistance uh, in suicide with suicide being the criminal code word um, with, our, with our Supreme Court ru- ruling. And we worked very, very hard towards that case and uh, coupled our efforts with the BC Civil Liberties Association to get us there. So, so there's a little bit of history, if you want to ask any questions, to flesh that out. And then we can talk about what's actually happening for Canadians.
0: Okay. Well, uh, I, guess, I guess we should start with... Uh, last time we spoke uh, with the, the people from Dying with Dignity, they were having issues with the previous government. Now there's been a change of government ever since Mm -hmm. how are they interacting with you guys now
4: right well we have a seat at the table i'll say that and i will also say that as an organization we are unhappy with some of the wording of the legislation we were very happy with what the supreme court said in their unanimous decision but as everyone knows in canadian politics the the court rules on law Uh, But Parliament is the one who actually makes the decisions on what that legislation for that law will look like. And the biggest going back and forth has been over the term reasonably foreseeable. And if you ask a lawyer about a term like reasonably foreseeable, that term will make sense to them. If you ask a physician, what reasonably foreseeable looks like they're going to shake their head and scratch their head and say well it's not really a term that we use and in fact Dr. Jonathan Regler who is um, now our chair of our physicians advisory council and a member of a new Canadian group of physicians who offer MAID medical assistance in dying uh, by the name of their group is CAMAP Jonathan and his colleagues at CAMAP would much prefer to see the term reasonably predictable. And that gives us a bit more leeway. In fact, some providers of MAID to people are are quite worried that the longer out um, from six months to expected death their patient is, the less likely that they may qualify, so there's a lot of uncertainty, whereas the Supreme Court ruling said that if you are suffering um, uh, irremediably and progressively continuously then you qualify
2: mm. then is that that's that's true with all the provinces that's in the legislation for all the pro- provinces so that's our
4: federal level le- okay. Legislation. That's a great question, Nancy. Just to um, put this in context, the criminal code is a federal jurisdiction. Healthcare is provincial. So that's our umbrella law. And and the really important thing to know is that. Oh, sorry, we lost you for half a second there. Oh, I'm I'm sorry, guys. Um, I thought someone was asking a question. I'll I'll get back to where to where I was. Um, so the 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 supreme court even though all the justices had great commentary on, on where they might see and how they might see this law looking in canada all that they really did was just change one section of the the criminal code and 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 make it no longer prohibited that you could have uh, medical assistance in dying so at the provincial level at the health level that's really up to the various provinces how they want to make access and information for people under this national umbrella and the other good thing about the law is that it allowed both physicians and nurse practitioners to assist people
2: which is a good thing seems like um sue that you have as as co-chair of of the vancouver chapter and then as part of the the larger picture it seems Mm -hmm. as though this is two-pronged where you're Your challenges are, number one, to be able to recruit the providers um, who uh, are willing to provide that service either uh, with their names known publicly or not, and organize that end of the, the, the service, and then also dealing with the patients and their family in terms of talking about death and talking about everything, all the emotional factors with that. Which do you, which do you find to be m- most difficult in, um, in, in trying to, to achieve in, in working with, with the public uh, um, and, and getting them to discuss and accept um, dying with dignity or trying to get the, the service providers all in a row?
4: Oh, sure. That's a, a, a great question. It's a large question. I'm, I'm going to break that down a little bit. The legislation first came down in Canada. We actually had a lot of physicians working with Dime with Dignity in particular because they knew they would be supported. And we had Vanguard physicians, in fact, here from um, Vancouver in particular, who worked reached out to us, worked with us nationally, and started providing training for other physicians. And now the physicians are really taking that on themselves with this new group, CAMAP. And that's as it should be. They're a professional group of physicians for physicians. We're a national advocacy group for citizens. So, So there's a bit of a national overview. I have to say that my passion in working for the organization uh, is both at the grassroots, which is uh, supporting individuals who are trying to access MAID in community. And then our overarching national um, aspect mandate, if you will, is looking at policies and advocacy that ensure access and, um, and ensure that we have the best law for people who are looking uh, for assistance at end of life and and to that end we're still very concerned about the terminology reasonably foreseeable and also it's impossible now to have made uh, just based on your advanced consent it's impossible for a mature minor and it's also impossible for someone with a primary diagnosis that's psychiatric so we look forward to helping be part of changing those laws and in the meantime locally what we're very interested in is advanced care planning and providing witnessing for people who are asking for assisted death
2: yeah so one of one of the other questions um, in in terms of providers is that not all communities are equal not all of them are um, as open and and um, diverse as Vancouver. Here in Abbotsford, known as the center of the Bible belt, people are much more conservative. And do you find, even though this is very new and all communities are, are getting used to it, do you find um, difficulties in communities that are more conservative and may not be as accepting of, of the made program as Vancouver? And how do you deal with that?
4: It's a really good question. And we have been expanding our communication and our reach within all of the health authorities in BC. I'm particularly happy because just as of uh, a week ago, a week and a bit, I had finally made contact with all of the made patient care coordinators here on the mainland. And our Victoria group, Victoria chapter of Dying with Dignity Canada, works quite closely. With Island Health, and um, they're not working directly with their MAID patient care coordinator all the time, but but they know who who each other is, and uh, and certainly um, both the Victoria chapter and our chapter are are doing a large number of witnessing just for the requests of made. So so coming back to remote areas, what you might be fascinated to know is that. Vancouver Coastal Health reached out to me first because uh, the nature and variety of requests that they were getting, they just simply didn't have people who were requesting made who had witnesses. And unfortunately, that's another aspect of the federal legislation that we would like to see changed is this requirement to have two witnesses if you are requesting assistance in death so we'll continue to work on that but for the for the time being you need to have witnesses and so we've been witnessing with uh vancouver coastal health and fraser health which is your authority and they both have excellent made patient care coordinators and it's a work in progress um it's, it's one thing to be happy about having legislation that allows this. And then there's the evolution of change. And as we all know, working with people, especially if they're uncertain what their thoughts might be around an idea like this, let's go in and be friends and start from the beginning and walk through this together. And that's really what we've been doing with the Vancouver Coastal Health uh, folks and also with uh, Fraser Health Authority. And and I would say that things are strongly heading in the right direction and just as of a week and a bit ago, when I contacted Interior Health, their MAID patient coordinator emailed me back in less than 24 hours and said, funny, you should contact me. I need help right now. And I reached out. And actually, it was an individual within our atheist humanist community who answered my call, who helped that individual. I don't want to give any names because of privacy. I, I shouldn't and I can't. But I just think it's a nice shout out to our community that uh, there was an individual ready to help. And within 24 hours, we had six witnesses started in Interior Health and we're continuing to grow that program. When I reached out to Northern Health, I was expecting that they would really need our help. We have a small population of people. Northern Health has about 300,000 individuals, which is about the population of Iceland, if you want to make a comparison. And in a geography, that's about the size of France. So I thought, wow, small population, really dispersed. They've got to be having trouble. But when I spoke to the Maid Patient Care Coordinator in Northern Health, and I said, so how can we be of help? And she's, good, thanks. Don't need your help. We got it covered. And we had a fantastic conversation about how they had taken the bull by the horns in 2015. Once the Carter ruling came about, they really saw where this landscape was going to be. And so the patient care coordinator was named. She was working within the health authority. She works very closely with a physician who then liaised with other physicians And they have a large number of physicians willing to provide. They have not had a problem with finding witnesses as of yet, and and they may not. And a lot of this is due to the efforts of their made patient care coordinator and all the outreach that she did uh, to physicians, to nurses, to nurse practitioners, to community centers, to hospitals, to hospices. And interestingly... They don't have any hospices that are um, under private um, uh, religious administrations. There was one, and that's since been taken over by Northern Health. So there's a couple of different things there. There's a climate of communication uh, that one farsighted individual saw as necessary at a really important time so that now that it's legal, people had already started to talk about this. And we also have a situation where we don't have um, a, a large number of religiously administered institutions uh, talking about conscientious objection of an institution. So we have a really different landscape in Northern health, and I will be continuing to communicate with the patient care coordinator in northern health because it's it's quite a different story than the rest of BC but that said we are way ahead in BC than we are in the other provinces because we've had these made patient care coordinators etc so uh, they reached out to us because they were having trouble finding witnesses and also I think it's been difficult for individuals in community to know that they can reach out to these made patient care coordinators. So hopefully one of the things that will be a good outcome from this interview is that people will say, oh, okay, I need some information. I can reach out to the made patient care coordinator. And if I'm having trouble finding them, maybe I'll reach out to Sue at Dying with Dignity and uh, see if she can help me get in contact with the people I need to speak to.
2: Yeah, right. And apropos of that, um, as you're talking about the witnesses and um, the uh, the access to witnesses, my understanding is that what you're referring to are certain forms that the patient mm-hmm. um, has to fill out and then submit in, in some way. So I, right. I know it would be really helpful um, if you go through exactly uh, what the forms are and who where you get them, who you submit them to. And I, then I think people will get a much better better idea of who to contact and, and what they're going to receive once they, once they get them in the, in the mail so, or email or So however. these forms
4: uh, are accessible online through the BC government, and uh, if you were just to do a search for uh, request for made forms, you would be able to find them. Again, if somebody's having difficulty, I can, uh, I can send a direct link. And you also can get these forms through your physician, even though it's generally accepted that you start looking at these forms after you've had um, a maid provider assess you. You don't need to do that as a citizen. You can look into this and you can actually say, I want to think about this proactively. And you could have somebody come in and, and witness Um the thing that you need to know though is that if you choose to be proactive as an individual in that regard one of the things that you are requested to do on your forms is that you need to have a medical diagnosis that is the reason that you're requesting made and also you must keep those original papers because if you do once you've decided yes I'm I'm looking at this in the future and I want to get my affairs in order those original request papers will have to go to the physician who provides your medical assistance in dying. And, um, and then that paperwork is, is kept with that physician. And actually in BC, it will, it will end up going to the coroner's office for now.
2: Well, what is that? Um,
4: I'm, yeah, I'm, sorry, I
2: I'm sorry, Sue, go ahead.
4: Uh, no, no, go ahead, Nancy.
2: Well, I was going to ask you, what is it that the witnesses are witnessing is is there? You were talking about a diagnosis, but then there's something. What what is exactly that needs to be witnessed?
4: Yes, and do you eliminate the witnesses after? Great question. <laughs> we are not witnessing the death. We are witnessing a request. So, in a sense, we are acting as a notary, and and yet this is not a, a paid for service. In fact, it can't be. Uh, whoever witnesses must be independent of the person making their request they must be independent from that person's wealth and estate um, they can't be in their will or be a beneficiary they cannot be receiving money for what they're doing so this is a voluntarily thing uh, voluntarily done uh, thing they cannot be a care provider uh, for the person who's requesting they cannot own or operate a health care facility where the person is residing so you can see where the troubles come imagine that you have someone who is very elderly, who is left in their circle of friends and family, very few, especially if they've moved. There are a number of people that we have witnessed for in Vancouver who have been socially uh, compromised, underserviced, who didn't have anyone else to, to reach out for them or, or to advocate or to witness for them. We've also run into several situations where the person was very clear that this is what they wanted and they qualified, but the people who could have been their witnesses didn't agree with their choice. So imagine being in that situation where you're clear, you know that you want to hasten your natural death because you are suffering, and the people that you thought would bear witness to your request abandon you at that moment. And uh, this, I'll just be personal here for a moment. In in situations where I've been a witness, uh, in situations like that, I, I find it uh, tragic and heartbreaking. And I'm very happy to be there for those individuals.
2: So the, so the form itself then gives permission for the, the maid service to be provided at a time where, um, the, the term that you used before, so that there, the death is is in the foreseeable future and it outlines the conditions under which that service is going to be provided. Am I correct there?
4: No, actually that's incorrect, Nancy, but also a good question because I sure see how this could be confusing. All we are doing in those papers (laughs) is witnessing that someone has requested uh, medical assistance in dying because that needs to be done currently under federal law. That needs to be done outside of the physician-patient relationship. And um, it's intriguing to me that we even need to have a diagnosis on there because we're not there about anything medical at all. We're just there to say, yes, this individual read this form in my presence, um, appeared to understand what they were reading, and they signed it in my presence. And, um, And there's two witnesses required for that. If someone is unable to sign for any physical reason and or um, if they have visual or hearing deficits a proxy is needed as well to sign on that person's behalf so there's a fair bit of coordination that goes on and this is why it's so good to work with the maid coordinators because ideally for those of us who are witnessing we speak to the individual directly but sometimes that can be tricky so, forging relationships with uh, people who do know the individual and at least can be there with them while they're there can be really helpful. Again, if we're working with a made patient care coordinator or a nurse or a physician, they can't they can't coach or or represent the person, but at least there's somebody in the room who the requesting individual knows and might be able. To answer a question, if the person seems confused about the paperwork.
0: So Sue, if 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 I'm correct here, because I've been trying to kill my parents for a while now, Uh, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs)
4: How's that going?
0: (laughs) Well, apparently, what you're saying here is there is really no way around that. I can't uh, with your system and with the witnesses, it just cannot. I can't do that. I can't. I can't coach my parents to uh, to to sign something without proper consent. I guess.
4: Well, yes, of course, and and that that's right and proper. Um, you could certainly let's let's just build a scenario here, Kevin. I mean, <laughs> joking aside, let's suppose that um, that one of your parents was in a situation where they wished to request medical assistance in dying. You could absolutely be there with them uh, when. Let's say it was it was Dying with Dignity Canada's volunteers or any other volunteers. You can certainly be there in the room when the witnesses are doing the witnessing, and and if your parent um, says to you, Kevin, I don't I don't understand what this sentence means. You can definitely say, Well, Mom, Dad, this is what it means, and that's not an impingement or an obstruction or an illegal interaction at all Um, in fact for us when we're witnessing as long as we know that the other people who decide to come uh, when the person signs their witness request as long as they're in support of this autonomous request on the part of the the patient the individual then if you have people who are all on the same page in the room supporting that person we think that makes it easier for them
2: Hmm. Absolutely. So d- course correction on my part, then y- 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 there's a medical diagnosis saying, yes, this person has uh, an illness or a condition that um, is going to terminate in the foreseeable future. And then the other form is I am that person and I don't want to suffer and I give my permission for uh, made uh, service to uh, to be um, delivered to me at at a time of, I guess, my choosing?
4: So, Nancy, what's really great about your question is that it's easy to see where confusion still lies. So, again, just to reiterate, the the witnessing that we're doing is just witnessing for the request. That's right. all it is. That's the first stage. And uh, we're required by law to have something medical written on that. So this is where it gets tricky if the person hasn't already spoken to their physician because um that that request the the part that is medical is that it's going to be much easier for the physician who does end up assessing and where appropriate providing medical assistance in dying the the more clear that witness form is the, the better it is and um you know some sometimes sometimes people don't know what the actual wording or extent Of their diagnosis is so for instance if somebody decided way before they actually planned to have made that they wanted to have it done and they said I'm getting my papers in order I'm having you come as witnesses Um, but if they actually don't have a medical condition that they can define (laughs) that then the physician can assess when they come in, that could be problematic. So so in a sense, we're not doing anything medical. We're just witnessing a request, but there is a medical diagnosis on that request paper. And uh, there's three pages to the request. Um, on the first page, there are some uh, sentences that the patient reads that says that they know of all of their options. They've been offered all options and have deemed that the medical options that are there are not suitable to them. They do not choose to have them and that they have not been coerced and they know that they can change their mind at any time. And uh, and and we are simply, simply witnessing that they read those things, understood them and signed and initialed it. And then on the second page, that's where the witnesses, both witnesses, have to initial and then sign that they are not a healthcare provider, they're not being paid, uh, they're not a beneficiary of the will, as we had talked about a little bit earlier. So, in in many regards, it's actually very simple. But I think we tend to let our heads get very cloudy about 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 notarizing things. And and again, if I can just use that notary example, we are not notaries when we're going in, but we're basically, in a sense, we are we are notarizing this person's witness. We're validating that this person is who they say they are because we have to have identification of who they are on the form. And basically just that they read and signed this document in our presence. So so it's it's not it's not a difficult thing to do, but it's difficult for people to find witnesses. It's difficult sometimes for them to understand what they're signing, but it's easy to go through and break it down and and then people go, right, okay, I get it. Thank you for that. Yep and uh, so and so happens, so what happens when you So have, we're just validating that this is the person's request. That's really all that we're doing.
0: So what happens when you have a patient that is, you know, on, on the verge of passing on but they don't have their mental capacity to understand?
4: Right. So we can't help those people and and sadly no one can with made. Now hopefully in a in a sunnier future when we do have the ability to have clear written advanced care uh Direct. Well, the advanced care directive is a legal document in BC right now, but we cannot um we cannot, on that advanced care directive at this point, say that we're giving advanced consent specifically for made. But we're working on it. So hopefully that will come in the future. And you're probably aware that the federal government tasked the Council of Canadian Academies to look at those three areas that I referenced earlier, advanced care, mature minors, and primary psychiatric illness um, as as your primary diagnosis. Um, Unfortunately, the federal government did not ask the Council of Canadian Academies to give recommendations after they've studied it for two years. But... um, that aside we are hopeful but by no means confident that in 2018 we may be moving the landscape forward on advanced consent because certainly uh, dementia is uh, is a is a huge area of concern uh, both on a legislative platform and for citizens of this country you know it's it's a little easier for medical people and lawmakers to wrap their head around what's happening to somebody with ALS or Huntington's or Parkinson's uh, towards end of life, because the mental competency is kept longer than for someone with a dementia diagnosis. But as, as we become more progressive in our views about um, both mental illness and loss of mental capacity then hopefully we'll get to the point where we say yes we honor this person's uh decisions while competent
2: going back to advanced directive which i think it didn't it used to be um living will and now it's an advanced directive which, which brings brings us to flip the coin a little bit um i i think i, I read somewhere that only 1 in 7 Canadians actually do any preparation or have advanced directives. Um, Is your organization doing anything to help people broach this subject to bring it more out in the open to talk with the other members of their family so that their wishes are known um, how are you because nobody really wants to sit down and have that discussion of this is what I want to happen when I'm ready to die and what what are ways do you think are, or what ways are you using to to raise awareness and help people cope with this in a in a um, less emotional
4: way again an excellent question and glad you brought it up because april 16th is national advanced care planning day so there you have it and we have just uh our national office has just sent out um uh, a what's in your plan uh link both by by twitter by facebook by our regular emails and it's specifically looking at this question that you're asking, advanced care planning. And our Vancouver chapter, we rewrote the BC advanced care uh, planning, uh, I guess, brochure, if you wish, uh, a little time ago because people were asking us and and they were growing impatient and so we went okay well we're just going to take what we know and and rewrite this so one of my colleagues uh, Connie Jorsvik and I revamped our advanced care planning seminar and she rolled it out on march 7th at the west vancouver memorial library she's doing another one june 6th we have three planned in september for Tuassen ladner and one other location that i forget but in that area and we've also in addition to our our large seminars that we give in libraries we will do uh, small seminars for groups or even uh, on Thursday evening, I did a, a small group in a home setting uh, for uh, a group of individuals who had approached me. So so we're out there with the information. You can also get the information online. The BC link for advanced care planning was uh, uh, it was called My Voice, but it really wasn't very good, and it's currently being rewritten, so that's terrific. There's Speak Up nationally, but if you if you go to our website, dyingwithdignity.ca, you can uh, download um, the BC uh, advanced care planning document, and also uh, it was actually done through End of Life Planning Canada, so again, um, endoflifeplanning.ca. Uh, and you can find a direct link to to download information to help you do your advanced care planning. We sometimes find it's easier for people, if, if they actually get together and discuss this, it breaks the ice, it it makes it less unknown, it it normalizes it, and it's really hard for people. I mean, who, who's got their taxes done, right? It's hard for people for work, and I don't want to do it, and where do I start? If you actually start it with a conversation and a narrative about why it's important, People will get it done. I have my advanced care uh, plan, and including my advanced care directive, my representation agreement um, in in my freezer. I have it in a Ziploc bag in the freezer, and I'm also registered with NIDUS, which is a personal planning registry uh, that was built right here in BC by um, a fantastic woman named Joanne Taylor. And uh, again, NIDUS.ca. If you want information from them, that's N I D U S.ca, and they have both group and personal workshops. There are a number of people who have professional services for for helping people too. The the colleague that I referenced, Connie Jorsvik, in addition to all her brilliant volunteer work that she does for us, she has a company called Patient Pathways and so she can help people navigate both the health system and their advanced care planning. So resources are out there. It's people people may not know that they exist, so we hope to connect people to those resources. And also the nature of them changed as of June seventeenth of 2016 when medical assistance in dying did become legal Uh, but we'd want everybody to do their plan in fact the statistic that you gave about one in seven uh, I've heard numbers that are relatively around that you know different sources say slightly different things but you're right but then if you look at physicians and look who has done an advanced care plan or at least a rudimentary do not resuscitate guess what those numbers are they're about 85% or higher. I, I,
2: and Unless people, I, I don't want to leave people thinking that your papers in the freezer are <laughs> have to do with your being strange and weird, which you're absolutely cool. not. <laughs> but when, in case people don't know this, when paramedics come to your house and they don't know your history and they don't know anything about you, they look on your refrigerator to see if there are any special orders for them. And if you... Put, you believe you put, that? And if you put your orders on the refrigerator, they know where they are. But you also can put a note saying, my papers for do not resuscitate or AD or whatever are in my freezer. That, so, Nancy, that's a, a lie. <laughs> we all know the
0: paramedics that come in your house, the first thing they go for the fridge is a snack. They want a <laughs> snack right. right away. They have to <laughs> start pressing after, on your chest.
2: That's right. After the snack, then they're going so to check to so see you if you're your breathing. You put your
4: information at eye level, Kevin. Simple as that. Everybody's <laughs> <Yes>. happy that. <laughs> (laughs) Win win.
0: (laughs) Oh well, (laughs) thank you so much, Sue, for that advice. That that was great. Uh, You know, and I really think that instead of doing Tupperware parties or sex toy parties, we should have (laughs) how are you going to die party. And you know, actually, actually, you know, that's that's
2: that that that
4: we're happy to talk about. Um, Wanda Morris, our our former CEO, used to often begin her talks by saying, talking about dying won't kill you. And and she's right. She is. And
2: it's difficult, but... It's the greatest gift you can give your family. If you come to the stage where you are uh, unconscious, whether you're in a coma and you cannot make decisions, it's your your loved ones who are going to have to make the decisions as to whether or not to, to the doctor should give you antibiotics, whether or not you should have surgery, whether or not you should be intubated. And if your family who loves you knows what your wishes are, you are giving them such a gift because. Because you're not leaving them wondering, am I doing the right thing? There's, there, there are so many sad things about... Dying and being responsible for someone else who is in the throes of dying, you know, and if you can make it easier for them, you're giving them something that'll make make it recovery and, and grief a little easier in the future. For you know, them.
0: you know what I left from, from my kids. I said if I'm if I'm uh, plugged and they, they have to decide to unplug me, I said unplug me, wait ten seconds, and then plug me back in. See if that works. <laughs> trying to reboot things Is it turned on? Did you plug it in? <laughs> were. Uh,
4: we're gonna have the electronic did, you know, Nancy, Kevin when it comes with us to forever. Family, though, One thing I'd like to add is that in families that are functional and do have a lot of love, you're absolutely right. But I would say to you that one of the good things about doing a representation agreement is that sometimes it's actually not a family member that you want making those decisions for any variety of reasons. So on your representation agreement, once you've chosen your representative and an alternative representative, Make sure that that's someone who really does know and understand your wishes, that you've talked to them about your advanced directive and that they're good in a medical crisis and that you can count on them to make those hard decisions when you have lost competency to make those decisions for yourself. My representatives are, are not family members, uh, partly because I live very far away from my family and uh, and I chose two strong friends who are professional women and peers because I know they're going to trust me if something Mm. happens to me. The other thing about your representatives and your advanced care directives, too, is that once you've done them, keep them updated because what you decide today may not be what you decide tomorrow. So keep them relevant. Know at any point while you still have competency that you can change your mind and change your papers. The the other thing, too, just from a Dying with Dignity perspective, we want to be really clear, that we're about choice. People who are in opposition to made will will try often to wedge that argument in that says, well, you guys are pro-death. You, you don't want people to have palliative care. You don't want them to have support. Nothing could be further than from the truth. We want people to have exactly what they want. And if their choice at end of life is a hastened death, then we support that choice as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for your time, Sue. You were It was quite enlightening. Uh, before I let you go, uh, could you uh, r- remind our, our friends where they can find you if they want more information on the subject?
4: Absolutely. So they can go to dyingwithdignity.ca is our uh, national website, and I can be reached through the national office uh, via email, uh, susan.husen at dyingwithdignity.ca. And also locally, we have a Vancouver Facebook page. So it's Dine with Dignity Vancouver. And I can be reached uh, through those those two ways. And people also who are actually in a position where they need witnesses at this point, I would say to you, contact your made patient care coordinator in the health authority that you live in, and they'll contact us.
0: Excellent. One last thing before I let you go, Sue. Can you say, hi, I'm Sue Yushin from... Uh Dying with dignity, and I took a left at the valley.
4: Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> Hi, I'm Sue Houston from Dying with Dignity Canada, and I took a left at the valley. And that was
0: Sue you um, I can't seem to pronounce her name right. <laughs> sorry, Sue. I'm so sorry.
2: No, it's a it, it's it's that a very tr- difficult. Well, it's a difficult subject it because totally is. people just have a hard time, you know, talking about their death or the death of someone in their in their family and the in the planning. So hopefully this will create a little awareness and and get people thinking about it more.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you for being with us through all these wonderful technical difficulties that make mm. life so much more interesting. Hey, we
2: did it. It's over. It's got done. <laughs> we, we, uh, we we managed to pull through. We conquered all the difficulties. Woo, <laughs> good for us.
0: My kingdom for a working computer. <laughs> we'll be back. We'll be back next week with more trouble exploding, <laughs> exploding computers oh no you can find us at leftatvalley.com you can leave us a message at valley at outlook.com you can send your complaints to Nancy at coms, and you can send your non-complaints to crickets Teresa at <laughs> oh, God. just say hi to Scott just say hi to Scott that's right um Next week, we should be talking about, we should be having a debate with uh, Chris uh, Christiansen versus Tyler on the uh, resurrection of Jesus. That should be interesting. Oh, yeah, oh, no. looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, hopefully we won't have too many computer issues then. <laughs> 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 so <laughs> say a prayer for us.
3: <laughs>
0: oh no. No, I'm gonna get those I'm gonna go follow Sue's advice and get those paperwork done because if I leave it to my family to decide whether or not I live to die, not only are they gonna pull the plug, they're gonna put the pillow on my face too. <laughs>
1: You'll
0: be on ice. On oh, ice for sure. Guys, thank you so much. Until next time.
1: By damn as long as there's a breath in my body, you can bet your last dollar I'll be working hard, fighting this problem. Religion is a disease, it comes from culture, only true on a regional scale. Science is universal, you can say that Horus isn't real, but Jesus is, or Zeus, though, or Mithra, or Vishnu, you don't believe in them.